Welcome to the Greenhouse Movement Podcast. Our hope is that the conversation you hear today will both equip you and stir you as a disciple and a disciple maker. This season, Pastor Mike Patz engages in conversations with special guests to discuss the future of the church. Lean in and be ready to move. Brian Sanders, Matt Ulrich, good to have you guys back on the podcast. Welcome. Say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. What's up? We are talking about the future of the church, and we've covered a few things in the first couple of episodes of this season, but we believe in the church, and we believe in the future of the church, and I just want to kind of throw it out to you guys. Give us a little recap on what we've said so far as it relates especially to the microchurch, which we believe is such a big part of where the church is going. Uh, recaps. Let's see. Microchurch is important. I don't know. Oh, there it is. That's <laughs> I, deep. I, I, I think it's seeing the church. We, we talked about seeing the church as more of a network of smaller churches or understanding that, that when you have a large number of Christian people in a room, you're actually probably looking at a large number of callings. So we, we haven't used that. We haven't really dialed into that issue yet but the truth is when when you imagine the church as being a network of churches of smaller churches the possibility of the church being small and going anywhere that god wants to send people in mission um you're really talking about calling probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah matt what are, what are you sort of thinking so far just kind of bring us up to speed yeah i think just the big component is I think the ecclesial minimum, worship, mission, and community. And even just this last episode, we were talking about how this is the missional engagement of the church, which is the people. And so microchurches really do engage us in all those different areas. And that's the full robust nature of church can be expressed with a handful of people or 50 people or any amount of people, as long as we are having that minimum met. And I think that that's a big piece. And like Brian said, the calling is a huge piece of this. It's that empowerment piece. It's what drives us to do the things that we feel the most alive doing. And I think that really can be met in a microchurch setting. I love that. So I really want to kind of launch it on this. We have already established that the church is the ecclesia. It's the, the called out ones. That's what the word means. It's those that have heard the call come out. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about coming out of darkness into God's marvelous light and things like that. I think the church has done a very effective job of saying, listen to the call of God to come out and be separate, come out from sin, come out from pride, come out from the world, the flesh and the devil, things like that. I think that's been a very faithful piece that the church has done. Have you heard God's call? I'm not so sure I think that's happened when it comes to the call of God not just being to leave darkness and come into light, but to leave the words of scripture. Paul would use your ways of futility. You know, that, that those that don't know God, they just, they've got no option but to walk in the futility of their minds, as opposed to being able to come to that place where someone can say, I have heard the call of God and I'm responding. Because on one level, following Jesus does mean you read the scripture and he says, if you see someone in need of this world's goods and you've got goods, you are to share. So we would tell anybody, go share. But there's not just following him, following Jesus via the, the scriptures that are written, which we believe in. There's also this 
following the spirit, the leading of the spirit, or living a life worthy of the calling with which you were called. And I really want us to go there today because, and you said it here at the beginning, Brian, that that every even local church we have, it's really a, a gathering of a lot of called people. There's a whole bunch of callings that are gathered, but most church as I've seen it tends to be one person gets a vision, goes up on a mountain, gets a vision, and they come and tell everybody, would you like to come follow my vision? When the tweak, and we mentioned this, that there, it, it's a subtle shift, but if the shift of leadership became not just one woman or man that gets a vision that asks everyone else to follow, but if there's a vision that is so comprehensive or that includes, we believe every person in this room has been called by God for some missional purpose that's going to change the course of eternity, really. And our job is to help unleash that. I do not think that's happened yet. And it's what I get so excited as we launch into thinking about microchurches today, because whatever the ecclesia is, whatever the called out ones is, it's got to be the place where the called out ones actually hear their calling. So let's, can we talk a little bit about the how-tos of microchurch? We talked about how do we do it and how does calling and get involved? Well, I think, I think the calling piece is really important to start, even because I do think there are general callings that every Christian has, but I also think there are individual callings that impact what you do with your life. Like there's that general call to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow you daily, but there, follow him daily. But there's also like general calls to, like we were talking about last episode on of subsets of people that God might be calling you to, like your pain point meeting a need and that birthing a calling. And I think we get the general calling on the, in the Western church to some extent, but the individual call, which is the igniter of microchurches and getting those calls birth is really the place where, where we're really wanting to explore and where really microchurches come in. Cause that's where those individual callings can really take place, get birthed and people can live a life worthy of the calling that they've received, which is Ephesians 4.1. And I don't think that's just general. I think that that general call is then conducive to that individual call. And that's where mission gets catalyzed in every single believer's life, regardless of their leadership lid. You know, it could be a person, their leadership lid might be, I could lead three people, but Jesus didn't say, hey, five talent guy, you're really my favorite. He didn't say that. He said, well done, good and faithful servant with the amount of leadership and calling that you have, go utilize that for the kingdom and its purposes. And if we can get that call really empowered and released, then we can see absolute revolution. I love it. I think a good, maybe a, a, a way of describing the, the distinction you're making between general and specific calling is, for example, you may you know, through your walk with Jesus, you may come to understand yourself as a missionary. A lot of people do. They get that. Like, I'm I'm supposed to make disciples. I'm supposed to share the gospel. I'm supposed to... You understand that part of your identity is to be a missionary. But if you told me, for example, oh, I'm, I'm meant to be a missionary overseas. And then I say, oh, really, where are you going? Like, to, to, to what to what country are you, you know? And you're like, well, I don't know. And then you go 10, 20, 30 years without answering that question. How are you really a missionary? So the general sense of like, I'm called to be a missionary without the specific call to where, to who? How do you buy the plane ticket? Right. How do you learn the language? You don't, you never do. You never leave because you, you, you have a general sense that I'm supposed to be a disciple maker. But if you can't answer the where, 
the assignment to who have you been sent? And to go back to your kind of, you know, rendition of, of Ecclesia, I almost feel like there's a, and, and we're, we're doing a lot with the, the root of the word and maybe too much, but I almost feel like there's this beautiful paradox or juxtaposition in the word because you have on the one sense, um, gathering like Ecclesia is this, it's the coming together of people. And in the other sense, really calling there, I think means people that have been sent actually right. called to go. Right. So it's not calling in the sense of like, I'm, I'm a teacher or I'm, I found my calling. I'm a carpenter or an artist or something like that. It's way more specific than that. So sent to, to, to a place, to a people, to, to, to a specific assignment. And so the, the paradox is that church, whatever that is, is the coming together of people who have been sent out. Yes. It's the moment where the people who are sent out all the time find themselves in the same space with Gathered, each other. Gathered sent ones. Gathered sent ones, yeah. So again, okay, well then how can we be the church without specific calling? How can we be the church without, without knowing what plane ticket to buy and what language to learn it's, and it's what a, culture it's to a fall brilliant, in love with? It is know? a brilliant thought, which speaks to what can be the dullness sometimes that we feel, which the worship can feel a little dim at times. When you read the prof, prophets that would say, your sacrifices and your ceremonies and your concerts, they're, they're a stench of mine. Not, because when you gather, you're not, it's not about my agenda, which I, I want you to go feed. I mean, at the level of like the lost and least, you know, I want you to go, is it, is the fast that I've chosen not that you share your bread with the hungry, that you open your homes to the homeless, that you, that you go. But I love this thought and imagine what would happen if the church was the place where those that have been sent gather. We're, we're not against large group gatherings, but the best large group gatherings are when a bunch of sent people come together. And then even those that maybe haven't been sent yet, I, I don't even have a problem with that. I love them coming and listening in on what's going on, but there's nothing like being in the room with people that all are on mission. And I think this is the communal fallacy of a lot of churches is that we're looking for community by just trying to create and cultivate yeah. community. Yeah. You'll never find it that way. You'll always be wanting. Community is found when you are, the, the times of community that I remember the most, that are the most prolific in my life were the times where I was radically experiencing God with people and when I was radically on mission with people. Yeah. The kind of community that everybody's looking for only happens right. in those environments, right. not when community is the focus, when yeah. mission is the focus, when God is the focus. When, when those two things are engaged, community is the byproduct of that. And I think that's a big piece of... Well, and we've, we've you know, thrown around the idea of church planting, you know, like everybody could be a church planter. It could be just a few people that you reach, but everyone could be a church planter. But, the, but even that for me is, a, is kind of a misnomer. It's not really biblical. Like we don't go plant churches. This is my opinion. We we plant mission. We go be missional somewhere, and churches emerge from that. So essentially, the the act is not to go plant a church. Which where we can get tripped up by that is that that means the first thing I do when I go to plant a church is gather Christians, and that is that isn't how churches are planted. Right. The way that churches are meant to be planted. That's the American church planting model. Well. But is it, or is it just a re, a re sort of shuffling of the Christians in that city right. into different buildings right. under different brands or listening to different pe preachers? 
But to actually plant a church in right. a place to a people, you start with mission. And you do, actually, the point is not to do a church. The point is to do mission. The point is to reach those people, to love those people. Uh, to your point last time, Mike, to feed those sheep. Right. Right. You go. You feel called to a place, a people, a context. And then you go there, and the act of loving, engaging, proclaiming, and demonstrating the gospel, you, you know, if God is there, if God wants it, if he wills it, if those people are responsive, then disciples are formed, and then a church emerges. Yeah. So it can be, I, I think it's it's fine. I mean, there's no there's no heresy in saying go, right. go plant a church, yeah. but, but I think it helps us to, to prioritize mission, because to your point, community comes out of mission, but churches actually come out of mission. The first gesture from from a church in terms of tactics, the starting of a church, is mission, always. And it's very hard to come to a group of people in the little bit of consulting I do with churches. If you come into a church where they don't do mission, it's not a part of their culture, it's very hard to convince people to break that social contract that they have, which is like, we don't really do that here. I mean, we can have some people to do that, and we can give some money to some people to do that. But the expectation that we would all be on mission or that we would all somehow engage in the mission of God or that we would all have a calling or be sent to a certain people to be salt and light to them, well, that's not the deal we made. That's not why I come here. Right. You know, and it's very hard to change the terms of that deal halfway in or later on. Hmm. But if you start with it, you start very small and maybe it only ever grows to a dozen people or something. That's, that's, Beautiful. It's okay. It's excellent. But even if we're to grow to many dozens of people, everybody would understand this is who we are. And there wouldn't be this much confusion yeah. about what it means to be the church. I think about the, the commission that we have. Obviously, we've got a standing order, which is I've got all the authority in heaven and earth. So I'm telling you, with all that authority, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them make new converts, people that do not believe in me, baptize them, immerse them in my way, let them change just like a woman would get baptized in the name of her husband. Let their very nature, their very name, their very identity be changed and then teach them to walk, walk in my way. He didn't say all authority has been given to me, therefore go plant churches. Because you got a lot of people, I meet people all the time, exactly what you said. They said, hey, I'm a church planter. And I said, no, you're just a, you're just a people mover. You move, you're, you're a good preacher and you moved some people from someone else. Do you really say that to them? Yeah, no, there's times would, I, I would, would say would, something would like that. Great. I'm like, yeah. sort of like, Hey, I'm saying tongue in cheek, but I mean, <laughs> because a lot of the prevailing church planting model is you go into a city and literally, I mean, people have come into our city and just say, Hey, would you be fine if we, as we're, we're planting, can we just take 50 of your people for six months to, to plant? And I'm like, I, I, I guess so. You know, I, I, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're the Lord's people. I guess that's a possibility. What I do know is this, the, the call is to go make disciples. Like the call, if you make disciples, you do always end up with the church. If you go try to do church, oftentimes you never get a disciple. So if we do get clear and that to really what you're saying, even when we're saying to saying the same thing in different ways to, to go make new, making disciples, I think has drifted into the realm of thinking that means already existing sheep get their get their fuzz a little cleaner and a little better, that already existing cakes get, get a little better icing on the cake. Whereas I think what we would say discipleship, to make a disciple means it's like making a cake. There's, there's nothing there and now you got a cake. Like it's, it's, there was nothing there and now a sheep was made because of 
hearing something and having intimacy between two sheep, and then now the next thing you know, you've got a, a sheep. <laughs> he had to, he just Don't had even to do it. it. He had to Don't take it there. Say. He had to take it there. And it, it's to make a disciple, it's not just improving disciples. And the way that happens is when we hear the call of God and we go buy the plane ticket. Okay, I am called to college students. I am called to this city. I am called to this group of people. And we go and do that. So can, can you guys help us out here if someone is listening and they're like, hey, yeah, okay, I want to discover my call. Like, how do I figure out my call and how, do, how does this translate into microchurch? I mean, for years, uh, I thought you just go into a room and pray and don't come out until you hear him, you know? And I still don't hate that idea. I mean, I, I still think there's a there's there's truth to the idea that in, at the end of the day, this is a spiritual thing. It, it can't yeah. come from your church. It can't come from your friends, or it can't come from even your opportunity or whatever. It has to. It has to be supernatural. It has to be. It's the gap. You know, when I when I look at people that have built discipleship pathways for people, so I'm going to disciple people. So first, I'm going to take them through. A, then B, then C, then D, then E, and then they're a disciple, or then they're fully formed, or something like that. And I just think, okay, that's very that's that's atheism. Because if you can disciple somebody without God, without God's help, there's a problem in your discipleship structure. So somewhere there has to be a hole where you go, well, we can't do that. Only God can do that. I mean, I can teach you this, and then I can show you this, and I can take you here. But this part here, nobody can do that but God. That has to exist somewhere in your discipleship yeah. conception, right? So for me, for us, that's always been this this call, this vertical where the, right. the where and who right. you're sent. We cannot answer that question, and and I don't know what to tell you except go pray until you hear something. But over time, we've learned that there are these different ways that God is speaking to us. You know, the, one is to shut the door in your prayer room and just. God give, said, give it go, time. God said, go to India. Yeah, God just said, give it time until you hear. Yeah. yeah. But there's these other pieces, you know, what we would call kind of an emotional inventory. Like what, what moves you emotionally? Where do you feel angry? For example, that's something that isn't right. Someone should do something about that. Well, that could be a clue that God is pushing you through your pathos, through your emotions. You know, it could be, what are you, what are your good counselors in your life? What do they say you're gifted at? Or where do they see opportunity? Where have you gone through something? actually oftentimes something bad or traumatic, which now positions you to be able to help people. I always think about cancer survivors. Cancer survivors are a group of people with a certain experience, right? And they can, they can minister to or bear witness or serve or love on people that have, have a cancer diagnosis in a way that those of us that have never had cancer, we just simply cannot do it. They're, 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 they have a credential, because of what they've been through. And a lot of times things that we go through, those can become little. And in my experience, when people say, I feel very strongly that I'm called to X, Y, or Z, it om almost always has something to do with their history, yeah. with their past, with something they've been through or are currently experiencing. So life experience, those things are important too. And then just your, your giftings, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're, where, where's the Holy Spirit gifted you? Maybe there's certain things you do more elegantly than other believers, and you see that. I think it's a mixture of all those things. You know, listening prayer, those opportunities, that's all. And going back to the, the issue of leadership, how do we lead networks? Yeah. How do we lead groups of leaders? 
we have to we have to become proficient in helping people go through that journey of discerning a calling in a timely manner. Right. Because again, I've known people that have say, oh yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my calling for decades. Right. It's just one of these things that for some reason people feel they can table. Right. Even though they know it's essential somehow to their activa activation as a missionary person. We, we're, we're very patient. <laughs> if I were to say I'll give you $10,000 to get in touch with your calling in the next six months, I bet you could figure out how to do it. You probably could. Six days. <laughs> probably good. What, and you guys do. You guys do calling stuff here. You help well, well, people. I, I right? have a lot of thoughts. I mean, Matt, I want you to say whatever whatever's kind of coming to your mind right now. Yeah, I mean, Brian hit a lot of a lot of the stuff that we overlap and that kind of stuff. I think for us as leaders, the the key thing for us is to create those spaces. Like, I don't think it can be a formula. And I'm a formula guy. Like, I guilty as charged. Like, that's how my brain works. That's how the whole Lord's wired me. But I also recognize that we cannot make a formula like ABC calling. But as leaders, what we can do is create spaces and relationships that help facilitate those moments, you know, having those times where you say, hey, we're, we're going to actually just, I mean, part of our leadership training, discipleship training is we take people and we spend a, an entire day out at a, at a barn with like a hundred acres. And we just say, all right, you're going to seek the Lord for hours this morning, hours at a time. Kind of like young life. We want you to go and uh, I don't even know. I don't. I don't know young life. So, um, not that long. Well, yeah. All right, so, like we uh, we we take them out there and we just say, all right, hear from the Lord and spend this time. Now we spend eight weeks talking about what this looks like and what this feels. Like, but but this is now that hopefully one of those catalytic moments for you. Um, so it's creating spaces. And some people are like, man, I really have a great call. And some people are like, this is life changing. Other people are like, eh, what's for lunch? You know, what I mean. So I mean, but but we have to create those spaces for the Lord to move. We can't. We can't say God is going to move here, but we can create those venues and those spaces for people to engage, to have relationships, to have people in their lives that are functioning in some type of elder uh, role or leader role or authority role that can say, I do see this in you. And I do see, have you ever connected these two dots of that pain and, and this gift that you have? I think this actually would work. I mean, there are people who are in my microchurch and, and I asked them, hey, what do you think your, your calling is? And they said, well, I, I don't know. I think I'm a teacher. I'm like, well, wait, what? Like, no, no, look at all this. And, and I'm able to give them 20 examples in a microchurch setting of how they are really the champions of the vulnerable or people who are out, or whatever the case may be. I think so creating those spaces, I think is a really big piece of calling that leaders can do. And really, cause we can't be God. We can't just give them that directive, but we can create those venues and spaces where they can at least and start to engage Prophesy with the spirit. Them about something. Yeah. 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 Kind of moving this that This is very helpful. Uh, there's really two strains of thought I want to kind of tease out here. One of them is people's calling. Anyone that's listening to affirm there is a calling of God that is on your life. And I mean, even as much as it can work through a podcast, we bless in the name of Jesus, that process of you trying to figure that out. It even give you permission. Like if there's a, like an unction we could have to say, you are unleashed to figure out the call of God that's on your life. If you're a woman, if you're a man, even a young, very, very young person, maybe a teenager listening, I, I would say there are multiple ways that someone can figure out what that calling is. I do want to translate this into the microchurch because I think we're it's still a little unclear as far as I actually do believe someone could have a burden for vulnerable children. They're in a microchurch. 
they're they're actually not going to start a microchurch with vulnerable children, and they're still going to have some outlet for it in some way, right? So I, I, I need us to get a little nuts and bolts specific here, because even biblically speaking, if I smash it all together, I would say, I think there are some people that will hear their calling based on they go in a room and they hear from God, or they go through a calling lab and they figure out their calling. You also see in scripture, like when, when people, to use the word missionary, when they got sent out, you go to the book of Acts, for example, in Antioch, they pray, the community prayed and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas and send them out. And Paul and Barnabas were like, okay. So, well, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, it, at least part of Paul's calling, he heard from Jesus directly, obviously. You know, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. He also heard from the community that said, we feel you are called to go there, Barnabas as well. And they both said, sweet, we're in. We're going to do what we collectively... So there is a... I just want to throw this out there. But Even the first place they went from that is Cyprus, right? And they go to Cyprus because that's where Barnabas is from. Yeah. So maybe it's not... That. It's like, you're supposed to go. You guys can't yeah. stay here in Antioch anymore. Right. Like, yeah. you have to go. And then it's like, you got to buy the plane ticket. Right. So you do the best you can. Right. And you take a step of faith. Yeah. That I, 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 When we've done calling labs, there's always this wall that people hit at the end. Yeah. This has been great. I've learned right. so much about myself. I feel I've had all these insights. Right. Okay, well, right down in the middle, you, I feel God has called me to, whoa. Right. It's like that last little step of actually owning. Buying the plane ticket. Buying the plane ticket. Yeah. But that is a big part of it. It's it's taking a step of faith. You're never going to be 100% sure. And what I'm right? trying to throw out here is, I believe the community of God has a part to play, namely telling people Fair exactly enough. that. Yeah. You got to go buy this ticket. You've got to buy the ticket. And I think it, and we can, where the community can be used is to confirm. Paul was already called. The community was confirming what he had heard. And that's a wise thing to do. And I mean, you know they talked about it. I mean, they would have sat, they wouldn't like, oh, that's it, never talk to us again. They probably would have all sat around and talked about, okay, where should we go? Right. So we're supposed to leave Antioch. But you're bringing, up a great, you're bringing up a great point though, which is what would, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like, hey, this guy's got connections. He knows the culture. He knows what he's doing there. Let's send him to Cyprus. Let's, let's start there. And yeah. then we'll go north into Asia Minor from there. It's like soft start. So I really, <laughs> so I really love this thought of whoever is listening you are given this one and only life. And Jesus said, I know my sheep and they can hear my voice. I'm not saying that happens in a split second or 30 minutes or less like a Domino's pizza, but I am telling you, you can hear the voice of God if you belong to Jesus. You just can. Like he is, to, to believe that, but he doesn't speak to do nothing. Every time Jesus speaks, the purpose, the intended outcome is there's light. He says, let there be light. If he is making a call, something's supposed to, it's supposed to translate and we're not the spectators in the stands. When, when the king makes a call, they go run plays. And God's called us to do that. Can we now translate that to the microchurch experience? Like, help us, what does this look like in the real world to translate someone's call? How can, how can we rope that into This This is how microchurches come to be, I, I would say. That, that an ordinary person who works a job somewhere, who loves their family, who loves Jesus... You know, they if if they if they're arrested by the spirit's call to a certain place or people or whatever. So even within your city, let's say, there's all these little tribes, all these little niche places. Uh, when I was in Dublin, I, I went and played one tennis match at this this tennis Brian's complex. Brian's a very good tennis tennis player. complex that 
was near my house and I kept wanting to go, kept wanting to finally I went there and I'm, I'm there for an hour and I'm thinking, Oh, there should be a microchurch here. I just saw it. I saw it in the little, little clubhouse thing, how it could work. I was looking at the people trying to start to talk to gauge their interest in Jesus, or whatever. This is, this is f- feeling a call to a place and then taking that step. That's how microchurches begin because back to the point about you start with mission. So if you, you're a sent person to a, a group, a sheep, a group of sheep, whatever, and then you just start trying to do mission and you find anybody else that has that same calling. Now, it's possible that you feel called to that tennis complex and you find out there's already a little group of Christians that meet there or something. And you say, cool, but I'll, I could join. That's an option, right? I could join it. It doesn't mean you have to start something or plant something if it already exists, but often it doesn't. In my experience, because we're so different, we're so diverse, the thing we hear in the place of prayer finally is something very specific, very unique to us and a place where only you can go, which then gives such significance to what you're doing. Because it's not just that you're taking part in something which is significant, which is the ushering in of the reign of Jesus through the kingdom, through the proclamation of the kingdom. But actually there's a place that only you can go. You only have access to that company, that break room, that tennis club, you're the only believer that God has sent to that place, possibly. Uh, so that that really, then then what do you do if you feel that? And you go there and you start trying to share Jesus, try, start trying to meet needs, whatever you do, you start trying to find other believers that might meet you there on that mission field. Then what? That's where the microchurch comes in because now it's like, well, what do I do there? Do I just share my faith and that's the end of it? Do I bring them to my church? Do I try to convince them to come to my church? Quote scriptures as you hit tennis balls. Whatever. So so that's where you, you have this new kind of, for lack of a better word, a social technology, something to apply into that place of mission. A couple people are interested or a couple people actually come to faith and to say, you know, we could have church right here. Let's do it just for tennis players and just for people that live in this neighborhood and just for members of this club, whatever. That becomes something that's possible because the microchurch makes it possible. The microchurch isn't a thing. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of describing something which can and does happen anywhere people are sent, you know, where the church begins to form. So again, we're, we, we, could be, we could be fooled into thinking of the microchurch as a, as a technique or something to be applied somewhere rather than to think if, if a sent person does mission with other people who are sent in community to a place churches can emerge, tend to emerge. And we can call them microchurches because they're small, you know, because they start small. And for me, that's it. If you get a worshiping community on mission, that is church. Yep. And those, those, the, one of the elegant uh, things about a microchurch is that it can go anywhere, it can fit into any space. Yeah. So anywhere where people are, a church could emerge there. So for me, uh, also just the idea of microchurch is this is this sort of flexible yeah. concept, which takes on all these different faces depending on the place where it goes. Yeah. You know, it still has those those elements, those core elements to make it Jesus's people. But man, it could, could look like hitting tennis balls. You Matt, know? we might have to tease this out in another episode as far as uh, the what some of these realities can look like, but can you guys play this out? Where would somebody go? If someone says, okay, do I, because part of what I'm hearing you say right now, Brian, is 
in, in essence, giving people permission to recognize where you already are and to feel like in the sovereignty of God, he might have you there at that college, at that job, in that neighborhood, in that apartment complex, in that friend group with that group of ex-fraternity brothers or sorority sisters. And in that context, to, is, is the next step sort of asking, is it every time you've got a hobby, do I say, ooh, do, how do I, what if I have seven hobbies? Do I start seven microchurches? Do I, if I'm in seven circles, if I've got three things, if I'm, you know, I'm a father, like I'm a father of eight, you know? So it's like, hey, we're on three different soccer teams I, I could, that meet at different times and in different places and they're different groups. Is, is it three, I mean, play, tease that out. What part of this is here? When do you know anything is possible? You could start a microchurch at, if you go to the grocery store with people at the same time, you got a grocery store microchurch, you got soccer club microchurch. How, how do I cross that line between hearing this is God and hearing this is a possibility? So, so I think that for me, one of our missionary friends has, has stuck with me. He's like, when I'm trying to find God's will, I pray about it. What does the spirit say? What does the scripture say? What does my community say? And what do my authorities say? And I think that's just a healthy, just matrix to kind of put something through. But if, let's say you have seven hobbies and you're trying to figure that out. I mean, Jesus himself, he would just, he would sow seed and see where it actually started to grow. And so if, you, if you're a soccer dad and you also love playing tennis and you've got a lot of kids and you homeschool or something like that, there's four potential microchurch options. I would... I would explore all those options and see where's where's gaining traction. And as you're doing that, you're walking in step with the Spirit, saying like, "Lord, what do you see here? Which one of these is going to flourish?" Which, and I think personally, I think your heart will start to tether towards one of those four different options. And I think you'll know it by its fruit. In some level, um, I think that you can also do that on that side. I think this is where maybe our uh, the inception of microchurches as the underground and greenhouses it might diverge a little bit in the sense that I would say jump into a microchurch community and then explore with other people. And so even if it's not your, uh, your, so we're trying to take people from a Sunday gathering mentality and convert them into missionally minded disciple makers. And so part of that might be jumping into a pre-existing microchurch that might not be your calling. You might not say, man, this is my flight. I'm there with you, but- But experience what you it could look like. You yeah. experience yeah. it and you get a taste of that. Now you have a community that can help you explore and dream and figure out of those, I have three options. What do you guys think? Then you have a community that's prayerfully walking that out with you. And you can have like a sounding board. I was like, man, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, because some people are excellent at things because they're naturally gifted at it. And they're just like, well, I mean, doesn't everybody do that? And the community goes, no. Not everybody, this is you, this is just you. This is your gift. You need to pursue this. And so I think the community piece plays a big part of fleshing that out and really allowing somebody to explore those different venues, see where the see where the the seeds are germinating, and then have some confirmation in those four areas of spirit, word, community, and authorities. I think if you kind of even play those two things out, I think you've got a really good start to really flesh right, out. So a specific questions for you two. You guys are both microchurch experts, gurus, poobahs. Here's some questions I think if I'm listening to this podcast right now, I might be asking. So could a micro church exist for the seven weeks of a tennis season? Could you have a seven week micro church? No, I think, uh, well, you're sure for seven weeks, but I, I think the mission could, could come in seasons, come and go in seasons. So we really reach out 
during the seven weeks of the tournament. But if you're really a church, then that community perseveres, right? Your love for each other, your commitment to each other will persevere beyond that. So mission can come in cycles, just like harvest, right? Seed, weight, harvest. So, And that probably is a good rhythm for all microchurches, to not go 365 days of mission, you know, that's not going to work probably. Yeah. So having seasons of rest, but you still stay at church. You still stay committed to each other. The community perseveres. The commitment to Jesus probably perseveres through those seasons. Um, it being a one-off or, or microchurches that only last a couple years or something like that, that does happen. And I, and I actually don't think that's a problem necessarily. You know, is it, have, have we done something to, to constrain our conception of church based on time? Like, does a church need to exist for 30 years? To, Most to macro really churches be, have some life cycle anyway. There's a lifespan. Yeah. So if the lifespan is five years, yeah. can we be thankful for that? Can we celebrate that? Right. Can we say what a, what a beautiful thing that was for five years? Yeah. Um, so, here, so here's another, some more questions for you guys, though. So someone wants to go get that start. Great, man. You, you can imagine a micro church for soccer moms. You go to the, you're a part of the soccer community. You guys have your you know, whatever, your coolers, and you pull out the Kool-Aid and Capri Suns, and you're going to start a microchurch. You are the Heidi Baker of soccer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Painting a good picture. All right. There that's it is. The so th- this is great. This is going to be awesome. The Kool-Aid. You know, um, th- this, the lady that's got the vision for this, she just met Jesus two weeks ago. Is there any minimum qualification to be a microchurch leader? When we're talking about, we talk about elders recently, you know, like we were in the last episode. Is there any kind of, yeah, man, I don't even, she doesn't even come close to measuring up to what Titus's requirements are for an elder, but, but she's see, got again, a vision. But again, we're, we're, we're taking this, this neophyte, this brand new person, and we're saying they're now a church pastor's elder. But that's only if you leapfrog mission. So again, if actually what you're doing is sending that person into mission, the crucible of mission, the formation of mission, the discipleship experience of mission, then then that could be an accelerated journey if, if God wants to accelerate that journey. So she she's sent actually to just go do mission. She's empowered to just go do mission in that space with soccer moms. And you know what? In my experience, somebody with low character who's not a great leader is not going to do great. There's Correct. not going to be that many people that rally around <laughs> that person, you know? Right. But somebody that has character forming and that God is really at work in that process. And maybe it takes her months or even years to build relationships and actually start a group. And yeah. now people are coming to faith and stuff. Guess what? By the end of that, when the thing really looks like a church, a microchurch, she has been formed. Right. She has been formed. So more to the point, let me ask you, Matt, in a context like Greenhouse, this, this soccer mom gets a vision for this. What is her, I think I know what you will say, but what is her next step? Yeah, I think that she needs to, so this is where I like, the idea, like the Pauline idea of intimate imitation. So I think that she needs to find someone that is more along the path of following Jesus. And she gets discipled by that person. She gets taken under her wing and she gets shown, I would say, join that woman's microchurch and allow her to see microchurch expressed 
become an apprentice in that microchurch, let her see kind of like, hey, this is how it would actually take place. Now let's dream and pray about how this is going to look different on the soccer field. Like let's let's think about the missional components. Let's think about how community could happen with the moms on the field. And now off the I field. would, you t- correct me if I'm wrong, I would tell her to go ahead and start doing mission though. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I think I'm I'm you building off of bo- what you could do both. Yeah, I'm building you could off go of get what? some training or like learn how to do. Yeah, leadership. This my, is one. Of, yeah, go ahead. My assumed thought is we're building off of Brian's idea that mission starts first. She goes and continues to do that, and then somebody comes alongside of her, and again helps to kind of facilitate that. One of my community. realizations is comes from contemporary life, and one comes from scripture. In scripture, they met in the temple and house to house day by day. So discipleship and church was a seven-day-a-week thing. I'm not, And by that, I do not mean burning yourself out by going to church services seven nights a week, okay? That, no, no one's going to do that anyway. <laughs> the, no, they're not. But I think some people, even when, when we talk about thing, words like revival, what people have in mind is, oh, gosh, I would, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my kids because we're at church every night singing the same songs again, you know? It, that is not what we're talking about here. In Scripture, though, it was a seven-day. The idea was, you're, this is your life. Like, this is... This is a revolution, you know? In contemporary culture, I can already tell you, the people I talk to, they are in uh, fantasy football leagues that get together. They do get on Zooms with their ex-frat brothers. They do go to their children. They'll have three kids, and they go to all three kids' different sporting events. They also go to the, like, they're already doing five or seven or 10 different things. So when we're saying, like, so I would even argue someone could be a part of multiple churches, you know? Another question I would have is, let's say soccer mom does get up started and she's doing this. Could she have people from various other macro churches? You know, First Baptist Church, First Methodist Church, First, you know, whatever church, all join her in her. She's like, hey, we're reaching these soccer moms. There's four other believers that all go to these different churches. Could they be, a, is it appropriate for them to be a part of that church? 100%. Yeah, I mean, it, like we are talking about with just the capital C Church of Gainesville, I mean, that would be kind of a anti-biblical to say, oh, sorry, you're not part of the Greenhouse Church. So Brian, actually, you can't even be on this podcast. We just got to cut this because you're just, out. you're out, buddy. Uh, because we, we all are serving the same goal. And, and like you said, we have the commission, like go and make disciples. So we're going to rally however that's going to happen, like bring people who are on mission. Let's do that together, of course. I actually think this could be one of the, the mechanisms for more unity in the body if microchurches got more prolific, if they got more widespread, because I think you would actually yeah, have that happen a lot. Because we already know, like, people are going to believe in a given city when the believers are one. That only happens when you know so people. So I go are. to corporate worship at this place on Sundays sometimes, Correct. but I, I'm i in this, I have this microchurch right. that I lead with a bunch of people from yeah. different places. Yeah. Because I, because the unifying thing over here in the smaller expression is mission. Yeah. And then it becomes relationships. Yeah. Right. I just love these people. Right. You know, yeah. I, I am in doing a thing right now that has people from different churches and it's, I don't feel like I'm, I mean, I'm a company guy. I work for Greenhouse. I don't feel like I'm <laughs> violating the fact that there's people where I'm fellowshipping that don't give to the Greenhouse and they give to some other church and there's, and I feel no pressure at all from that to tr- try to get the, well, you better get them into hear you preach on Sunday mornings, you know? So, uh, so I, I think I can maintain those, those lines. So I think that's good. Anything else you guys would say? Cause I, I love what you guys are saying to, and we're calling people. And if you haven't, and you're listening to take the time and do the due diligence to go find your call. And then to really pray about translating that into a microchurch experience. And even anyone, there's many that are listening right now that are in microchurches now, to listen to God about how he might be calling you to go out and do something. 
that may or may not mean leaving the current, like multiplying out from the micro church. You may still be a part of a home church that's very life giving, and you're going to have your. See, I, I would make it even stronger. I would say he is calling you. Good. Are, are you listening? Yeah. And you know, he might be, or think about it, or at some point he may want to send you or give you an assignment. If you're a serious disciple. He he has a place for you. I love that. To, I to, love to that. engage a mission. It's a hundred percent the case. I was thinking. I was thinking recently about patterns. You know, we sometimes we recognize patterns. Or you, well, there's something called the the Bader Meinhof phenomenon, which is psychologists would call also called the frequency illusion. It's like if you're interested in buying a certain car, and suddenly they're everywhere. You know, you didn't. You were looking at a Jeep or something, and then. Well, I never knew how many, this certain kind of Jeep that's out there or whatever. Of course, that's not true. They were always there, right? But suddenly you're aware of just how many Ford trucks there are or something because you're interested in Ford truck. And I would, it's a, something Frederick Buechner says is like, listen to your life. Like it's there. God's been knocking. God's been trying for some He's time probably to say, that's where I want you. Yeah. That's where I can really yeah. use you. And I think a lot of times we're just we're just afraid. We don't we don't want to hear it because then we'll have to do it. <laughs> so if we could just keep tabling it, I don't know, and I don't really hear yet or whatever. And the irony is when people do do it, what happens? Well, and I I guess even to my point is like you'll see once you once you have clarity on that thing or you start to open your your heart or your ears, you'll see it everywhere. Right. And you'll recognize all this opportunity that was always there. And you recognize the favor of God that's on you with that little group of people or that little place yeah. that was actually always there. Yeah. And then, of course, something you said earlier about coming alive. You know, the, it, you know, in a, it's paradoxical. You know, your life gets harder and mission. Mission is not easy. Planting microchurches, being a part of microchurches makes your life harder, more complicated. It is, it is a plow that you are pushing. But it also enriches your life in a way that simply cannot be put into words. Yep. It's like being married. I mean, how long have you been married? How long have we been married? I mean, we're pushing 30 years of marriage, right? 27 years. Yeah, I think I'm 28 or something. So, you know, anytime I may have thought about straying or not wanting to be married, and then the, the reward, the experience of being able to say, I've been faithful to one person for 30 years. How do you quantify that? Right? So, so, so the, the person that just goes and has as many partners as they want, and they think they're living life to the fullest, right? They think they're having Solomon. Any, any time they want something, they feel they can get it. What they have in that sense of that sort of false freedom will never compare to the experience of looking into someone's eyes that you've been with for three decades or four decades. And the security that comes from that, and the and the and the the I don't know being known in a certain way. So it's it's this sort of strange trade that we make when we really trust Jesus with our lives, when we really pour ourselves out in compassion for the world that He loves. Let's not lie about it. Yeah. It is hard because you're stepping into people's suffering and their pain, and it, your life gets way more complicated. And in many ways. It does, it does take a toll on you, will take a toll on you. But that experience of feeling like my life matters to people 
and and there's something eternal happening in and around my life. There's some 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 eternal consequences orbiting my life. I just don't know of anything in this life in human existence that compares to that sense of significance and purpose. And the only way that I know to help people get there is to listen to the voice of God, assign you something, and then be obedient to it. Yep. Whatever it costs you. Whatever it costs. That is great. Matt, any closing thoughts? It's a hard one to follow up on. <laughs> Uh, I really do think that there is there is so much uh, that all the things that we're looking for to kind of sum up what Brian was saying. I think all the things that we're looking for in all these different places are found in that missional catalyst and in living that life that God has. That calling is the most deeply gratifying and fulfilling thing that that we'll ever experience. Here's the vision I'd like to cast to close this out. I have had many people over the years tell me they've come to Greenhouse, joined the discipleship movement that we've got. And I mean, recently got a message from someone that said, man, I went to Greenhouse. I learned to seek the Lord. Like I really learned to seek the face of God and hear his voice. And, and someone sent me a message over Christmas time. And they said, man, I, I, I just need you to know, I, I wanted to let you know, I haven't lost that. Like everywhere I go, I make disciples everywhere I go. And I, and I really liked that thought of people learn to seek the Lord. They, they just knew. And I said, well, why, why is that? And the answer was, because everywhere you go, people begin to ask you, hey, have you, are you seeking the Lord? Like, hey, why don't you come join me seeking the Lord? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray at a park. Do you want to come with me? They would come alongside me, and they, and they would train them in that, and they would learn that. Be, there was a fluency that was there. I was like, you know, I think we want people to get that fluent or that much just, oh, I recognize the Jeep everywhere. At Greenhouse, people are looking for Jeeps everywhere. Hey, how, how's your pursuit of the Lord? People do that. I think it's something we want to become very commonplace Everywhere you look, there's this Jeep of, you've heard the call of God on your life. Like that becomes a, a Christian normal. Disciples are listening at all times for that call of God, which by the way, could change even from decade to decade. Like God can put new burdens. You can have special needs as a, as a parent, special needs children, you can have whatever. But I would love for that to become the norm. And from, the, because I think that is the key. And I think that's the beauty of the microchurch revolution is, all these different callings that right now are latent and capped get unleashed. And I think that's our dream is that that could happen. And, and imagine what would happen when that does happen. If you are interested in this, by the way, there is a microchurch conference coming up ASAP, very first week of March. If you listen to this before that happens, it's microchurchconference.com. If you're listening afterwards, there will probably be archives and things like that that are available. But if you're interested, we'd love to get you plugged in with that. But Brian and Matt, thanks very much. This has been great. And uh, so glad you joined us today. Thanks for listening. This conversation inspires us to think about our calling, to draw close to the Lord and intentionally seek the specific ways that He is leading us. Microchurches remain important communities through which to discern and practice one's calling and serve as a support to encourage one another to move on mission. If this podcast impacted you, then share it and leave a review. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date when the next episode releases. Until next time, live green.